0: Hello, this is Kalia in 2020. What you are about to hear is the remastered version of the episode that you clicked on. Why? Well, it turns out that when I started this podcast, I got some incorrect information regarding copyright law and fair use policy. After nearly two years of making content, this oversight was brought to my attention. There was mild panic, lots of guilt, and then a few fervent nights doing research. It seems we might exist in this grey, nebulous area of fair use for critique and commentary, and thus our use of a teeny-tiny bit of the music from the soundtracks of the movies that we are critiquing and commenting on might be allowable. But then again, it might not. So a few things. 1. I don't want to be a jerk. Even accidentally. 2. I think it's important to acknowledge when you mess up. But 3. And this is key. I think acknowledging your mess up isn't enough. You have to rectify the situation if possible. And guess what? It's totally possible to go back into these old episodes and clip out the maybe legal, maybe just slightly crappy bit of audio and replace it with a bit of music created just for me by the same composer and performer who made us our theme music. Which is what I'm going to do. And since I can't help but tinker just a smidge, I might clean up a teeny tiny bit of audio noise while I'm in there. I mean... I've learned a lot over the last two years, and who knows, you might be stumbling upon this podcast feed years from now, so why should your present-day ears be punished because way back in time, I hadn't yet found the noise reduction button? Anyway, without further ado, here is the podcast you came here for, just slightly better.
1: Thanks for listening.
0: Hello, and welcome to Pages and Popcorn Podcast, the podcast
1: where two book nerds talk about books and the movies they inspire. Full spoiler warning, we will be discussing the endings of all things. I'm Kalia, and this is... Jennifer. And before we talk about today's book and movie combo, a few announcements. First off, thank you to all of those of you who listened
0: to our trailer, who found us on iTunes, our Facebook page, or Twitter, and visited our website. If you haven't found us on the intertubes quite yet, please take a second to go ahead and do so. You can be found everywhere at Pages and Popcorn Podcast. That's also our email address, pagesandpopcornpodcast at gmail.com. Today, we will be talking about A Simple Favor. And here are my notes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) A Simple Favor was written by Darcy Bell, and this is her first novel. So congratulations, Darcy. This is a...
1: It is a first novel. It is
0: a first novel, and it landed a movie deal. So, I mean, really, that's pretty impressive. Jennifer, do you want to read to us the synopsis of the book that is given
1: to us on Amazon? All right. A single mother's life is turned upside down when her best friend vanishes. It starts with a simple favor, an ordinary kindness mothers do for one another. When glamorous Emily asks Stephanie to pick up her son after school, Stephanie happily says yes. Emily has a life that would be that would make any woman jealous. She's a perfect mother with a dazzling career, working for a famous fashion designer in Manhattan. Stephanie, a widow with a son in kindergarten, lonely in her Connecticut suburb, turns to her daily blog for connection and validation. Stephanie imagines Emily to be her new confidant and is shocked when Emily suddenly disappears without a trace, leaving her son and husband with no warning. Stephanie knows something is terribly wrong. Unable to keep away from the grieving family, she soon finds herself entangled with Sean, Emily's handsome, reticent British husband. But she can't ignore the nagging feeling that he's not being honest with her about Emily's disappearance. Is Stephanie imagining things? How well did she really know her best friend? Stephanie begins to see that nothing, not friendship, love, or even an ordinary favor is as simple as it seems.
0: Okay, I came to this book because it was on sale at Target. I saw this book and I was like, oh yeah, they they made this into a movie. I really like reading books before I see movies. I don't know if I'll see this movie, but it might be kind of a fun chick flick thing to go see with some friends later on. Sure, I'll I'll grab it. Plus, I run a book club and every now and then we need something light and fluffy to read a book club. So I grabbed the book, I read the book, I was disappointed. Pointed with the book. Kind of unimpressed. I thought it was really simple and cliche, very surface. Stephanie as a character was frustrated. Okay, we can talk more about that in a second. But anyways, online, I'm part of a great community that is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer. And one of the gals in that group said, hey, you should go see this movie, A Simple Favor, because it is awesome and queer and dark and funny and has a good twist. And I said, that's interesting because the book had none of those things. It was not awesome. It was not queer. It was not super funny. It wasn't twisted, and it didn't have a good twist. And she said, oh, no, trust me. And I I don't remember her name, and I can't find the thread now, so I can't thank you, but oh, my God, I'm so glad that I went and saw this movie. So that is how I came to the book and then how I went and saw
1: the movie. And I know I've just tipped my hand, but do you want to tell us how you came to the book and the movie? (laughs) Okay, I came to the book and the movie because of Kalia. And... Originally, I dubbed this one Kayleigh's Revenge for making me read a terrible novel because I made her watch a horror film. So, Kayleigh's Revenge, uh, when we went to the movie theater, I just looked at her like, You're making me spend money on a terrible film. I don't like you anymore. The podcast almost ended that very day. <laughs> and then uh, I saw the film, and it is completely different. Yeah,
0: I've actually seen the film twice now, because mm-hmm. I saw it, and I loved it, and I was like, this is great, and I really want to use this on the podcast. And then I really wanted to be there in the room when Jennifer saw the film and saw it and
1: had the change of experience. We did high-five each other in the theater. I was like, you're forgiven. I like you again. The the movie was directed by Paul Feig,
0: who did The Lady Ghostbusters and mm. also some episodes of The Office and Bridesmaids. So he definitely uh, has a comedic bent to his work, which I thought was interesting. And he tends to like
1: strong women. He does that in a lot of his films,
0: exactly. And I appreciated that. Uh, this book is is all about women. I, I liked the fact that it's a that thriller noir that typically star men, but in this case we get the strong female characters and it's it's kind of all about the women. Although I'm not 100% on board with the way that everyone's portrayed, but we'll talk about that. Mm. We will definitely get to that. So um, do you want to talk about some of the, the changes? Big ones, little ones? I don't think oh, we need goodness. to go
1: beat by beat through the whole... Well, okay. So we have the basics for the novel uh, plot They change a lot of this. So in the beginning, there's a couple nods to the novel of, oh, that was in the novel. Okay, that's a little cute. Things quickly go on to a completely different path.
0: One of the first changes that I noticed was the difference between her having a mommy blog versus a mommy vlog. And I appreciate that changed. I thought, even though the book was written in 2017, so it's certainly not dated, that it was was more visual and it felt more realistic. And it was also interesting to watch on the screen as Stephanie... Stephanie's audience grew based on what was happening. And so that leads a little bit into her motivation for what she's doing and why and gave her character an an extra little bit of depth there.
1: Well, it's also you're looking at a visual medium. So you do have to change how things are portrayed. If we're watching her write a blog. It's incredibly boring. But with the vlog we get a lot more of her personality too because she's got the cameras, she's got this little clicker button so she can switch between cameras, she's got all this photo equipment to make herself look really good. So her type A personality shows up front and center.
0: Yeah, and from the very the very very first thing that we see it, it it's all about Stephanie and her type a personality and her yeah. love of a staple
1: gun and her love of those cookies I think it's, she's got something like 400 followers when she first starts and so if you look down on their on her blog post as a as they grow and what events make them like bound in in numbers mm-hmm. Um, Another little
0: change that had big ramifications that I absolutely love was the new character of Darren, who's played by Andrew Reynolds. He was from the new normal and also from Broadway. And I absolutely adore him. (laughs) And I loved I loved him as being one of the moms Darren was great. And he had a very important moment towards the end of the movie. But I, I really liked his cattiness. And actually, that, that's another change was about the point of view. So in the book, our point of view, we had Stephanie, we had Emily, we had Sean. In the movie, we basically stay with Stephanie most of the time. There's only, I think, two scenes where she's not actually on screen that are that are important. But we have the Greek chorus in the movie with the moms. And they're hanging out at the coffee, and they're making their snide comments, and they're adding to the exposition. And I just, I loved it. Uh, you know, it's not always done in a, as a visual thing to have the chorus there. Mm-hmm. But I really, really
1: enjoyed the other moms. That's a great way to describe it, too, as the Greek chorus is the people, they're always together. That wouldn't happen in real life. But they're there making their comments and just, oh, she's one-upping us again and being catty. And that kind of goes with some of the themes when we talk about friendship and what it really means and yeah and mom culture and i have a daughter
0: i am a- involved in mom culture and uh, have read my share of mommy blogs and have turned my nose up at my share of mommy blogs and then also found some of them very helpful. So I can see both sides of the thing. As a mom who used to blog, but I was never a quote unquote mommy blogger. A little tiny change, they changed the amount of money from $2 million to $4 million, which, you know, I, I guess that makes a big difference. Again, it's funny because you'd think that that doubling it would be because, oh, well, when the book was written, $2 million was really big. But now four million dollars. The book it was, was last written year. last year. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was interesting. So the the speed for the relationship, and again, in novels you can take your time. You. Time is one of those things. I think John Irving has a great quote about how a novel can encompass so much more time, a lifetime of time. And a movie really can't. It has to move from one thing to the next because you're very limited. And so it makes sense that they sped up both her relationship with Emily, but also her relationship with Sean. But I felt like it, it kind of took something away because I felt like there was more of a foundation for their friendship, or even as one-sided as it turns out to be. But since it had lasted a little bit longer in the book, it felt... It, it wasn't manufactured intimacy in the same way it was mm. almost in the, in the movie You're like, wow, that's so fast. And I guess that's, supposedly to speak to Stephanie's desperation, but I did find it more believable in the book because it did take a little bit longer.
1: Well, one of the issues with novels and translating to films is depending on the novel, they can be very internal. In the novel, her Stephanie's blogs are a significant part, but we get a lot of internal monologue, which you can't do in a film. Right. So they do try to, I guess her desperation does feel real when it comes to the film. Of she badly wants a friend. That's why she's got this blog or the vlog in the film. Um, you have the Greek course and they're obviously alienated from her with the perfectionism that some moms try to portray that feels very artificial if you're not in that perfectionistic mode. So to me, the film didn't feel that odd. It felt like somebody who was really desperate, and that's how she is in the book as well.
0: Yeah, well, and again, that we had the different point of views. So we had her point of view. And we we didn't have to rely on the visual clues like we did in the film. But in the book, we had the point of view of Sean, and we had the point of view of Emily. And so we, as the audience, as the reader knew more than Stephanie did. In the movie, we didn't, we kind of found things out along with Stephanie. And I think that that made her more of a sympathetic character. I did not find Stephanie a sympathetic character in the book, I found her insipid and annoying. I in the movie, I was rooting for her.
1: Yeah, uh, her type A personality, and the book is somewhat insufferable. And yeah, she is she is a total wimp. This is one of those novels where nobody is really likable. Yes, and Gone Girl that had some specific meanings to it, and so this was to me Gone Girl light. Yeah, or discount yeah. Gone Girl.
0: Yeah, for sure. Except that when it translated into film, I definitely was rooting for Stephanie. And then she was so earnest, her perfectionism and her type A personality, she wasn't judging. Other people were judging themselves when they when they were holding themselves up to her as a foil, but she wasn't judging anybody. But
1: she's also not insipid. She is yeah. very active in the novel. She goes out and she gets things done.
0: Yes. Yeah, exactly. To an extreme degree. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I know we're going to touch on it, but definitely the, the when, when there's the departure of of how the investigation happens and who's figuring out what. And Stephanie is being so proactive and she's literally moving herself to other places instead of just making a phone call. And she's disguising herself and she's sneaking in and she's becoming a
1: strong character. Yeah, she's turned into Stephanie the Spy. So Stephanie the Spy has some really cute scenes where she sneaks into Emily's workplace. She's trying to take control of herself a little bit. She mouths off to her boss at one point, which she would never do in the book.
0: Right. And also in the book, it, it's important to know that she wasn't just insipid. She was calculating and, and horrible. She was watching Breaking Bad uh, and eating meat as, a, as this. she was laying it a trap. She was building this foundation to get with Sean. It wasn't, oh, it just happened, or it was an emotional carrying away kind mm-hmm. of thing. It was intentional and stalkery and creepy. And that makes her less likable. And in the movie, we didn't have that. I mean, she definitely still gets with Sean. And even though it happens really fast, it's not as calculating. And I think that we forgive people for doing things if we say, okay, it's emotional, as opposed to if we're saying, oh, no, you're manipulating the hell out of something or a situation. We're not as forgiving about
1: that. Yeah. In the book, there are so many mentions of Garden Burger. I wonder if the author had stock of the company (laughs) because she's all about veganism. And at one point she's like, okay, this is what turned me into a vegan. So yeah, when she's cooking Sean's meat and she's like burning his veal the way he likes it, you know, there are those little hints that she's doing this. (laughs) Emily always said that she had great sex with Sean and therefore Stephanie is one of those characters that in her own way is somewhat of a seductress. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. No question about that. No question at all.
0: Another um, important distinction change that was made are the name changes. So in the book, we have Emily and Evelyn. And in the film, we have hope and faith and charity. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, from a thematic... Do you want to talk about themes now or later? Oh, either way. Okay, so from an image perspective, in the book, Emily has a tattoo and it's barbed wire. And the movie, it's changed to fire with a little charity symbol, which is harkening back to a particular instance when she's a teenager. Yeah, I thought this was... One of those points of departure where the director was kind of winking at the audience, being very self-aware and saying, okay, here's the twin trope and we're going to play with it.
0: Right. Yeah. It's not just telenovela
1: where, oh no, there's a
0: twin, but it's
1: telenovela
0: extreme oh no there's three of them (laughs) and it was cutesy
1: you know hope faith and charity and you're like oh my god (laughs) yeah (laughs) wow but uh and other than emily and evelyn which is such a just cliche way of naming twins yes so hope faith and charity Right, and of
0: course, also in the book, there wasn't the killing the father. There was no big fire. All of that was different. Evelyn or you know Faith was it was very different as well. And and that kind of went to Emily's motivation, and then that went to you know who how the murder happened, that particular murder of uh, Emily killing Evelyn or
1: in the Emily killing Faith. Yeah, there's so many name changes. It does get a little mixed <laughs> up, uh, but it does make Emily much more sympathetic in the film than in the book. Yes.
0: I yes, because in the book she kills her sister by basically being passive by by psychological again that manipulation. She manipulates her, she gets her to this point in psychological warfare and then she lets it happen. Um so she she's not as hands-on with that
1: murder. But the but the motivations were also very different in the film the drugged out sister is manipulating emily to get all this money whereas in the book she was just at the end of a rope
0: yeah she was going to die anyways uh or or maybe maybe not she kind of went back she and was four. suicidal she was she was and she could have been saved maybe i don't know like we but you know emily tried and then didn't try and and then realized it could really benefit her um as opposed to okay this crime of well now i'm gonna go in the water and now i'm gonna dunk you you know and 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 And
1: physically kill you as opposed to psychologically kill you and let you kill yourself it's also understandable that you can have fatigue when you have that person that you really love and care about and they keep regressing back into their addiction it's very common and so i i understand emily in that moment of okay you're you're drugged out again you want to get clean uh, it goes back. And so all those broken hopes do get to you after a while.
0: Mm-hmm. So you
1: said you found her more sympathetic in the movie? I did. Uh, because, one, the sister is being manipulative. It's not Emily deciding to, to torture. And you also don't get a lot of Emily's internal monologue where she's basically... She calls Stephanie the fish. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of expecting a little bit of that in the film, some fish iconography. Um, The fish in poker terms is that one person at the table who's going to lose all their money. Right. And so, you know, that's their mark. Stephanie is the mark. Stephanie is the mark, which is a a departure
0: because... In the in the book, yes, it was intentional. They found Stephanie. They nurtured that relationship. And it was both Sean and, it was and Emily. Yeah. And in the movie, uh, no, it was it was kind of coincidental. And and so okay, I have, I have a question for you. In the movie, Sean says we took out that insurance policy because of you, because that story that you told her, blah blah blah. And so that's kind of like an afterthought. Whereas in the book, it was definitely a we're going to do this. We're going to fake a death. Oh, and here's the person we're going to use to be our fish, yada, yada, yada. Do you think that in the movie, um, Sean's telling Emily or telling, oh gosh, so many names, telling <laughs> Stephanie that it was because of you and, and we did this because of you. Do you think that that was was accurate or do you think
1: that they had kind of already been planning it? Because there are so many twists in this film keeping track of just the differences between the movie and the book, and then just keeping track of the film and what changes and changes and changes. With Sean, it sounded a little bit like an afterthought that they were, oh, yeah, we're going to do this, but he didn't take it nearly as seriously.
0: Yeah, I I loved that in the book, it was a plan that the two of them had, but Emily didn't trust him enough to give him enough information. And so because he didn't have enough information, he messed up her plan.
1: Yeah, but she was terribly upset with him, much more than Stephanie. Well, yeah, you don't expect the fish to do anything else. I mean, you know... <laughs> the fish just flops around. The fish
0: just flops, right? The fish did exactly <laughs> what the fish was supposed to do. It's the it's it's the betrayal of the husband, which she didn't trust him. So how is he betraying her? It's not like he suddenly changed. He was whatever he was, yeah. manipulative or mani- easy to be manipulated and by her. And to be fair
1: to him, em- yeah, Emily does do a lot of things... They're just mind-trippy. Oh, so yeah. So it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. And yeah. he says this all the time about her. He just could not figure her out, and he found that exciting, which is why he was with her. That is not explained nearly as well in the film. Right. In the book, you know, you can see that sort of couple dynamic happening.
0: Right, again, because we get his point of view and her point of view. And this is
1: very Gone
0: Girl definitely that that being drawn to the darkness being drawn to the chaos and uh, again there's <laughs> we talk about different women and you you can okay so there's the trope of the manic pixie dream girl right mm-hmm. and obviously neither of these women are, was the manic pixie dream girl that's definitely a trope and i you know emily is is like the opposite of the manic pixie dream girl she is like the hard sexual she's the femme fatale uh, but extreme and it's it's she's she's not even she's not even very femme I mean think about the costuming with her when her menswear you know whereas stephanie's in dresses there's only stephanie gets put in pants when she's being an investigative, an mm-hmm. investigator, and when she's standing up to Sean, um, and she's part of the whole thing at the end, and, but even at the when they go to the gravesite, she's back in a dress. She's, she is the feminine to Emily's masculine energy, and I
1: thought that was really... She's also very childish. Oh, if you innocent. Look at her, yeah, if you look at her costuming, she has, like, pom-poms on her sweater at one point, and it just looks ridiculous. She looks like a five-year-old. She's innocent, and she's, she's meant to be the innocent. Again...
0: In the film, in the book, she was not as innocent. She, it, and anytime she she portrayed that, it was part of her own manipulation.
1: Yeah, and the incest factor was much more prevalent in the book. Oh, yeah. Uh, or in the film, it was just like this little blackmail material. Well, that we
0: and also like the, the the actual admitting that Miles isn't Davis's son. It was Miles was the son of her brother, Chris. And, and she actually said it. Emily has it on tape. You know, Emily was all about recording people, you mm-hmm. know, saying their secrets and then using them. Of course, she recorded it on a carousel because, again, there was more time between the things. But, um You have to wonder about how good the sound quality is. We're sitting in my kitchen right now, and the sound quality is not the greatest, (laughs) but apparently a carousel and somebody talking over wind and children is going to, you know, sink you. Um, Another big change is the insurance man's kill, Uh, insurance man's murder,
1: the murder of the insurance man. Yes. So Emily comes back into Stephanie's life, and this goes back to Emily's manipulation, even though she's done all these really horrible things to Stephanie, and Stephanie is somewhat aware of this she completely forgives emily and is going along with this and it's like oh we're doing something forbidden isn't this exciting i've never felt so alive oh yeah for sure and she completely buys into the
0: abuse story that emily feeds her i okay so and then the the confrontation
1: with sean on the couch Right. yeah
0: this is the this is part of why i did not like stephanie in the book i was like okay so you you know yourself are a manipulative person and you know that she has manipulated you before but now suddenly because she pulls what the magic mom card and she pulls out the word abuse and and whatever and 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 stephanie doesn't question and it just becomes an automatic belief and i just really i mean come on trust but verify right or at least take a take a moment to have some
1: skeptical thought i the psychology in the book is probably the weakest dimension of it Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have Stephanie, and you can kind of believe, okay, she's trying to be the perfect person in some way to compensate for what she feels as her own failings as a person, because she had an incestuous relationship. Um, A long-term incestuous relationship. Yeah, in the movie, it was like... And there's a lot of guilt that her husband probably killed himself along with her brother. Yeah. So there's a big part of that. Emily's character is just so off the wall and she starts off as being this psychopath who doesn't care about anybody who just is out to get what she wants she has no empathy but then she loves her son and she doesn't care about Sean at all he's just he's almost like another fish it's he's there for her to use mm-hmm. but her whole thing is i love my son i love nikki and yet she doesn't ever really seem connected to him even though this is given lip service and so her psychological profile is just ridiculous so i'll say this about gone girl is that you do have complicated characters you can kind of see how they're working internally with this one it's just comes off as very flat and artificial
0: yeah and again with the evolution of character in the movie we saw stephanie become a stronger character she she took got more autonomy she believed in herself more she did more in the book, Stephanie grows as a character and that now she participates in covering up a murder and is still a fish. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, she doesn't grow. At the very end, she's still the same Stephanie as you started with the novel.
0: Yeah, definitely. And and that's frustrating to me.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> <This> is- <laughs> no, there are no character changes here. Right. Everybody is the exact same at the end of the book as they were at the start. The movie, though. Oh, my God. Oh Big, my god! That ending was crazy. That ending was a balls. Yeah, <laughs> bananas. B A N A N A S. She even film. said it's
0: bananas. She even said that's bananas. And in my head, I went
1: B A N A
0: N A S. Yes. For sure. I loved it. I love that Stephanie was playing her. I love that Stephanie kind of played the audience, too, you know, because we didn't know exactly. We thought we knew because she was like, Mom's got to take care of it. Got to do it ourselves. And you're thinking, oh, because it's got the gun. And then, no, no, it's all about the button cam.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of um, twist. And then here's another twist. And then here's another twist on top of that twist. And then a hybrid twist. Silent, but deadly. Oh, my gosh. Best Moment. <laughs> okay, so Stephanie and Sean are working together to try and trap Emily into confessing that she did this horrible thing with her sister and this whole plot about the finance and uh, insurance fraud. They fake a shooting where Sean you know, is supposedly shot. And this is Emily. No, this is Stephanie being, you know, super type A mom who can get it all done. And so she's able to fake a shooting. Yeah. Okay. So,
0: okay. You can't think about it too much, but for sure. So she, the gun goes off. It makes a noise. Redness on his shirt. Oh no, he's on the ground. But then there's actually a real button. Button? There's a real bullet in that gun so that the next shot can be
1: No, it's a different gun. She pulled out a gun from under the couch. Oh, my God, I missed that. Okay, that (laughs) means I was like, I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah, so the gun that Stephanie was using was the one that she found in the closet. And then Emily pulls out a completely different gun from under the couch. Of course she does. Of course she does, because that's where we keep our guns, in a house with a six-year-old. Yeah, so at first, Emily is like, oh, my God, you shot him. I am confessing. And the other two are like, yay, we got our confession. And then she says, oh, but I cut your bikes because I'm that far ahead of you. Right. Oh,
0: but we're ahead of
1: you! Yeah, but at that point, she actually shoots Sean. And it's kind of yeah. interesting to see the, the difference in blood color. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs>
0: well, and also how twice in that scene, <laughs> they're continuing, I think three times, actually, they kept- they're having this conversation while someone's bleeding or potentially bleeding or pretending to bleed
1: or whatever. Yeah. And it's just so... Blo- it- that scene was acted so well. Blake Lively, you're a goddess... I think the casting in this whole film was done really, really well. Except for the children. Uh, Okay. But kids as actors, whatever. Anna
0: Kendrick also amazing. So
1: earnest. So beautiful. So lovely. So I want to be your friend. But there's that moment when Stephanie is holding the gun. She's pointing them at the two. Sean and Emily are having this fight and she's like, but I have a gun. And they're bickering. And she's in the background she's like, what? And then she just kind of walks off because she's just,
0: they're not even paying attention to me. I love it so much. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. And this, this is when we see Emily in her most femme fatale this is femme fatale she's on the counter she's got the dress with the tool underneath i mean she she looks the stepford wife look right now this is the most feminine we see emily is in this moment when she is ultimately taken down so i don't know is there a message there about femininity and about masculinity about what's strong but yes we definitely will but let's go back to our our climax um (laughs) My That's a nice here. way
1: to put it. <laughs> to our climax, because there is a lot of sex in the book. And it's not oh. displayed, but there's a lot of sexuality. I was like, what? Sex in the movie? Yeah, oh, there was a lot of
0: Yeah, in the book, there was more sex, definitely. And it was, you know, more graphic. Was,
1: and Well, know. it was all off camera. It was just like, of oh course. my god, his okay. sex is so great. Like, okay. But here's, here's the thing.
0: There was more sex, but there was no queerness in the book. Yes. And there was queerness... In the movie, there was bi-ness, at the very least, because we've got the kiss. Oh, from the very beginning. When she's
1: staring at her, she's walking across the parking lot. Oh, my God. Yeah, from the very beginning. There's like, okay, this is, there's a strong lesbian vibe going on, and yes. that just gets... Well, or
0: or, les- or we can say bye because Stephanie okay. was obviously very much in love with her husband and her brother, so I'm not going to... Shoehorn either one of them into one thing. I will say, I'm
1: not talking about identity. I'm talking about the type of relationship. Okay, so I will say yes. The characters have a by by characterization in their identity. Well, one of them
0: does. I don't believe for a second. Uh, I mean, I, I get that Emily had a a whole female relationship before with the artist. Who amazing that that we'll get there in a second, but. <laughs> But I, I, do, I do wonder about how much of it was just straight-up manipulation. Mm. Um, especially of Stephanie's character. Which, okay, it, it felt very manipulative. The whole thing. And even the kiss. And it's okay, baby. It's just a regular Tuesday. You know? And how she's going to tease her and play with her a little bit and not. It was charged. And, and again, her, her outfits... Her th- outfits were amazing. They're definitely playing with gender roles and, and oh, sexuality, yeah. for sure. In the In the book... There wasn't the queerness, but there was a very interesting masturbation scene. As far as
1: Emily's sexuality, sexuality is extremely complicated. So we're not going to go into the whole thing. I didn't think of her as being bi. She was just one of those people who didn't care about the body. It was just to get what she wanted. If she wanted pleasure, it didn't matter who. Yeah. If she wanted That's this, what I'm saying. Yeah. She was
0: manipulative.
1: It, it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't about relationships for yeah. her. So I, wouldn't const- I would consider her a romantic at best.
0: Oh, okay i'm not gonna i don't know not her and she's not <laughs> here to tell us but uh, shitty either way uh I, but i want to go back to the masturbation okay. <laughs> because it was there and um we had stephanie masturbating while wearing one of emily's dresses and looking in a mirror but she wasn't thinking about being with emily she was thinking about being emily yeah and i thought that was interesting and it made it made sense for Stephanie as she was stepping into this role. She wanted to become something that she wasn't. And she didn't,
1: ultimately. She she didn't become anything more than what she started out as being. So that is, again, with when you talk about visuals in a film, this was done in a very interesting way when you look at the house. So the houses that Emily and Stephanie inhabit are extremely different. One's very modern, with very chic. The other one's kitschy and cute. And when Stephanie moves into Emily's house she does try to make it over in her own image. She yes. brings her own stuff. It becomes kitschy and cute. She takes away the sexual iconographic images. That was another huge change in okay, the book. But, it was like a twin thing. Yeah. So, which, hint.
0: which, yeah, it was, it was more than a hint. I think it was her thumbing her nose at the world. Like, you know, I'm not only am
1: I being evil oh, foreshadowing in the book. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, changed because now you, we have triplets and it's all about Emily's sexuality. So that's taken away. We have a scene where Stephanie does put on Emily's dress and she cuts herself out of it. Yeah. She doesn't want to be Emily. She wants the style and the sophistication, but not be that person. Exactly. It's very symbolic there too. Yeah. So in the book, she's much more about what if I could be this person? Mm-hmm. Not have the trappings of this person.
0: Right. And that's security. And I think a lot of it came down to the security. She Mm -hmm. liked the idea of the husband and the family unit. Stephanie wanted that husband-family unit, that June
1: Cleaver thing. So interesting about security, the money issue was not there in the book. Sean didn't even really want to get into this whole insurance scam. He was like, well, we have enough money. I have a good job. He wasn't an author. He wasn't an English teacher. He was more into real estate. Right. Um, there was no sexy TA. So no sexy TA threesome,
0: which was also just added in. Again, I feel like just baiting that bi but whatever. Go ahead. <laughs> so you think this is bi-baiting? I do. And, and and I feel like it. it's not a positive representation, but I'm all for representation in media for sure, but not when it's going to be weaponized i i was very uncomfortable with the fact that it was added in and then used as, as a negative thing i mean yay girls woo, kissing sure but not again not as as a weapon i found that really although although again stephanie goes and she meets the artist and it is it is it's so awesome the way that she meets the artist and that artist played by linda cardinelli who was sam from er that scene was amazing and, and so I'm,
1: I'm glad it was there. But... Yeah, Kaylee was giggling the entire time yeah. when we were watching this. I really liked that scene. Yeah, so we have the lesbian artist who is very pissed off. She's playing with knives all the time. And yes. Stephanie has that cute little line, oh no, you're just misunderstood. That's why your paintings aren't selling. Yes. And it's such a, a mom thing. <laughs> oh no, thing. they're probably just all jealous, <laughs> is what
0: she says. <laughs> like, yes, they are. They're all jealous <laughs> of your talent. <laughs>
1: Okay, so we're getting a little bit off track. So one of the main changes is Emily, at the end, runs out of the house when she finds out she's on camera. There's the triple cross. Mommy power wins at the end of the day. Yep. Darren, she over the Greek chorus. Yep, the Greek chorus is there
0: for you. you screw with one of the moms. You screw with all the moms. Darren's one of the moms. And Darren's it is complete
1: farce at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah yeah it, they're not even trying to be serious this is just fun just fun yeah said, oh oh honey oh no i'm worried about your knees <laughs> i love it yeah okay so and, and emily it, gets hit by a car it, it, you don't expect it it's just bam and she's on the ground and there's stephanie going no don't crawl your knees you're going to damage your dress yes again
0: the the yeah let's take that feminine thing and just smush it with technology and let it, let it crawl.
1: And, and then you get a, a very quick little epilogue at the end what happens to each of the characters. Stephanie comes out smiling like a rose. She's got a million views on her blog and is doing awesome. Sean is. She's also
0: a, a super sleuth now, too. It's not yes. just helpful hints and tricks and tips, but also let's solve some cases.
1: Yeah, she also has her own detective agency. <laughs> which, looking at her in the movie, she does an incredible job. She is oh, yeah. incredibly thorough. to, like an extreme extent. Thinks on her feet. She does. Yeah. No, she's awesome. But she she is one of those people who is so diligent, and she's like a bulldog. She will not let go of a bone. So at one point, she has a huge list of people that she's calling until she finds that right person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, and so yeah, so she I would buy make it. I totally attractive. buy
0: it. Yeah. And Sean and his son are off living somewhere else, and he wrote a novel. Yay,
1: good for him. And Emily is in prison and doing well. Oh, boy, is she. (laughs) (laughs) And, yeah, this is a very artificial, very fun sort of thing. It kind of harkens back to 80 films. Right. So we did not earlier read the IMDb
0: Uh, Synopsis And it's short. I'm going to go ahead and read it because it's literally, you know, very, very tiny. Stephanie is a single mother with a parenting vlog who befriends Emily, a secretive upper class woman who has a child at the same elementary school. When Emily goes missing, Stephanie takes it upon herself to investigate. It tells you very little about what's actually going to happen, but... Since we read it last time, I figured we should read it again this time. Um, I I will note that the best line of the movie is, brother fucker, and (laughs) it's not in the book. And also that there are no martinis in the book. They are drinking white wine. And the type
1: of martinis they drink, it's basically just gin. Gin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is not a martini. And martinis are foul and gin is foul. This is gross. But that's what they drink. That is what they drink. (laughs) Okay. We have some themes. We have themes of the female friendship. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and what's real and what's not, and I kind of like that the, the novel, I think, for both of us was a complete loss. It was just, oh my god, this sucks, and when you had me read it, because Kaylia forced me to read this novel, and it was terrible, and that's why I called it Kaylia's Revenge for a while. There is no growth, there's no development, and the plot is so basic, I was like, there's nothing for us to talk about. There's, there's no podcast here, we can talk about this for ten minutes, and then we're done. And then the movie completely flips that. Right.
0: And I I don't think I
1: hated the book quite as much
0: as you did. I hated it. I did not enjoy the characters. I had a hard time rooting for anybody. Um, It was light. It was fluffy. I'm okay with sometimes reading light and fluffy. It was light and fluffy? Yeah, in in tone. I mean, yes, it was dealing with these scary, heavy things, but it it. I, I mean, not light and fluffy like, oh, it's so cute and, and adorable, and I'm gonna laugh a lot. I mean, that it didn't. It, it it was light. It was surface. I guess is a better. It was way. surface. It was yeah. surface. It was fluffy. It it's wasn't not fluffy. It was fluffy like Pinterest. Oh, okay. Well, Fluffy to me is just, um, it's like the stuff inside a teddy bear. It's, exactly. it's squishy, and it
1: doesn't really hold up to anything. But it's the stuff that's inside a teddy bear, and teddy bears are cute. Okay. And that's why Fluff is usually, oh, this is a cute little Fair happy Fair enough.
0: Story. I will, I so will amend. will superficial. I will say, yes, very surface, very Superficial. And, and I didn't like the end. I didn't like the fact that Emily was running away with her son, that she wasn't
1: getting spanked, that she just kind of ended up out there. and. Yeah. So in the book, Cunning wins. In the movie, The Mommies win. Yes. And it's, it's interesting if you look at this in terms of identity. So through this, Stephanie really changes a lot in personality. She starts off very lonely, isolated, very cute, and not very self-aware. Mm-hmm. And then as the film progresses, she gains all these skills. She learns like new depths to her personality that she hadn't known before. She does take on some of Emily's characteristics. Yes. She does have a few masculine moments. She does have, oh, this is how you manipulate people. So she is learning, but she doesn't become Emily. Right. She's still very much her own person at the end. Yes. So she grows, and that's an interesting relationship in that way. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah, and in this one, Stephanie doesn't or uh, Emily doesn't change, and that makes her that makes her just the nothing at the end. One note. Yeah, yeah. Even though we had
0: we got more about Emily, she was more fully fledged in the book than in the movie. In some ways, because we got her point of view. I wasn't rooting for her either. In the movie, I wasn't rooting for her, but my God, I couldn't take my eyes off of her because she was so compelling. Hmm. Although maybe that says more about me than and Blake Lively. Um yeah, I had that issue too. Okay.
1: Well, <laughs> yeah. those outfits were amazing. Those outfits were amazing. Especially the white tuxedo at the end at the graveyard scene. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that's that's a little of us. <laughs> <laughs> um okay, so we talked a little bit about female friendship
0: and and what you put into your uh, I feel like part of the female friendship but also it, it's a it's a bigger theme than that is just artifice and and what what is the surface versus underneath? And so for Stephanie, it'd be easy to say she's all surface. She's all Pinterest. She's all Instagram and pictures. And and there's nothing there. But there is. There is a lot there
1: for Stephanie. She, she is actually... I would say that's true in the book as well. You know, she oh. has all these secrets, but she never grows. And that, to me, is the major distinction. In the film, she is very surface. She's very pretty mommy blog. But that's also who she is in real life.
0: Right. But she also has an inner core of strength that we yeah. see. And, and it's not... Um, it's not a negative. Her strength isn't a negative in the movie. In the book, what you could say is her strength is her manipulative manipulative side and her stalker-esque side, and then her inability to actually think critically. I don't know. Yeah, I just... It, Stephanie in the book... Blech. Stephanie in the movie, <laughs> I, I want to know her.
1: Um, I want to be on a committee with her so she'll do most of the work. But I think one of the things that gets people about mommy culture is that there is that I'm so perfect sort of pretense And that comes off in her blog, even though she's trying not to be that way. In the blog, it is very much that feeling of, oh, I'm perfect, and here's some tips and whatnot. So she's the perfect mom, whereas in the film, that is who she really is. And so she has that jealousy from other people. But like you said, she's not trying to be that. She just is that right and once the rest of you know the mommies accept that that's who she is and they're like oh there are some good tips it is that sort of empowering friendship
0: right it's, so, which we see at the funeral you know when when uh when darren says oh and you know i i we, we watched your blog so we could mock you and then i actually learned something from your blog and I, I he is
1: so cute in this film he is amazing
0: i've had that too i when i was blogging and uh being a mom And people would call me a mommy blogger. And I would say, ooh, no, I'm not a mommy blogger. I'm not into that. I'm different. I'm better. I know that, you know, I was shitty. And, but it's true. There are some really cool things out there on mommy blogs, but there is a little bit of that competitiveness and Mm -hmm. women can be very competitive and moms can be very competitive and then they're living it out through their kids. And so competitiveness was also a theme in this, the competition,
1: so, just a note. Kalia has a shirt on, and it reads, Empowered Women Empower Women. That's true. That is a shirt I happen to be wearing today. <laughs> <laughs> so, very fitting. And it's the unjealous friendship that wins in the end. Yeah. So, that's the thing, is Emily never really understands friendship. She can't form these sort of bonds. Which is why she comes off as a psychopath, and why I don't believe her relationship with Nikki. She can't form emotional bonds.
0: I think he was a status
1: thing for her. And I think... I think and maybe this is
0: headcanon and I'm just trying really hard to make it work, but I feel like in the way that Stephanie envied some of Emily's strength, I feel like there was a little part of Emily that envied the simple things and, and that mother relationship, because in both the book and the film, Emily did not have a good relationship with her own mother. Mm -hmm. And, She can be as hard and caustic as she can possibly be, but I feel like there was an element of that, that if she had had a better relationship with her mother and had... That she might have taken a different path in, in the in the movie, we her sister was manipulative too, and, and was the you know the troublesome one and yada yada, and so she kind of gets dragged along and 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 she's a fully participant in it. I'm not, you know, I'm not giving her a pass here, but I, I do feel like there was elements of that that family life. You know, I mean, here's the thing. she chose to have a baby. And I and I part of it was probably to be with Sean and to, you know, sink her hooks even further into him and control and blah, blah, blah. But Emily's the kind of person who would have had an abortion
1: if she felt like she, you know, that was better for her. Women do have children as part of status.
0: Oh, for sure. That's what I'm saying. It was but not just status. I think that her I think and maybe this is just because I'm an optimist, but I, I feel like there was a little part of her who envied Stephanie as well.
1: Yeah, this is totally headcanon to me.
0: Uh, Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this is just Kalia wanting things to be better than they are. Okay. Ouch. But,
0: um, so we talked about female friendship. Another theme was just the feminine. What is feminine? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be a mother? Uh, you have the tropes of the mother or the whore. Um, Emily's both at the same time,
1: but so, kind of neither at the same time. So You do have, in film language, there are certain... There are certain categories that women usually fall into. There's the seductress. There's the masculine female, which is what Emily is to both. Um, there's the femme fatale, and then there's the mother, and then there's also the innocent. So there are right. these certain archetypes that you see over and over in films, and they do both encapsulate these to a wide degree. So usually mothers aren't the innocent; they are not the innocent. But in this case, you know, she is Stephanie is both the innocent and the mother, mm-hmm. whereas. Uh, Emily is a seductress, she's a femme fatale, and yet she's also the masculine woman. Yeah. And she is the bad character in this. Yeah. And so women should stay in their own lane. Wait, you're saying that that's a message in the movie? Or you, you can interpret that as a message in the film. Okay, yeah. So the masculine woman is the bad woman. She's the one who's taken down. Yeah. At the
0: end. And
1: it's the By mother. the giddy
0: mommy! Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Stay in your lane, because if you're in a different lane, someone's going to hit you with a car.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that interesting, though? It's when she's the mother, when she's looking like the Stepford wife, that's when she's taken down. Oh, yeah. Because that's what
0: I was saying before. I, I just, I found the wardrobe. I mean, not only was Emily wearing amazing clothes, but also she's very masculine until she's not. And Stephanie's very feminine until she's not. She's in her pants
1: when she's being, you know. But even when she's in her pants, she's never at. Emily's level she's she's she's, extreme but she's still got the bow thing around her neck oh yes the scarf yeah so she's
0: always who she is she is but I'm just saying I I thought the costuming choices
1: they they, were great it it was amazing yeah somebody needs an award (laughs) definitely and that's what gets me about sort of the idea of identity Stephanie is always who she is she's learning she's growing Emily when she's at her feminine she isn't who she truly is, and that's when she's taken down. Right. And if you look at her in prison, she is very, very masculine. Yes, definitely. And that's where she fits in best. It, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about that whole, don't apologize?
0: Oh, man, for sure. See, and this is... I. I feel like I've got a little bit of Stephanie in me. I like Target, and I like doing some of the mommy stuff, but... Um, you also cuss like a sailor. Yeah, I've got some Emily in me, too. I cuss. I drink my, well, not martinis, but my white wine, and uh, I will tell you to shut your fucking mouth if you are in- apologizing too many times, and I, I actually tell my daughter not to shut her fucking mouth. I don't say that to my daughter, but I have <laughs> told her multiple times, don't apologize for just being. That's ridiculous, and yeah,
1: rah. Okay, I will say this. I don't think apologies in and of themselves are bad. Well, no, but
0: they're a tool, and they need to be used at the proper time. If you start... If we are cubicle mates, and I come into our cubicle, and I'm going to ask you to get me the TPS report, and I start off the conversation by saying, Jennifer, I'm so sorry, but could you get me the... No, dude, that's your fucking job. Hey, (laughs) Jennifer, I need a TPS report. I'm not sorry for asking, and that's the thing is, women tend to over-apologize, we tend to start conversations with apologies, we tend to apologize when we've done nothing wrong, we tend to apologize instead of saying thank you, we tend to just over-apologize, and it's part of the patriarchy, and I hate it, so no, apologize if you're actually sorry because you done fucked up, but don't apologize just to have something to say.
1: Kaylee, why don't you tell me how you really feel? Okay.
0: I'm not sorry.
1: <laughs> That's how I really feel. So, this goes to conditioning, and this is something that we both have issues with how women are conditioned to apologize, how we're conditioned to always go, Well, I'm sorry, I'm intruding, make ourselves smaller. I just want to make that distinction that there are times to apologize, and sometimes I'm sorry is to express sympathy, whereas Emily in this is never apologize for anything. Not if you're wrong, there's no humility, there's no learning. Right. Yeah, so she takes it to an extreme. She takes everything to the extreme.
0: That's her job in this, though, too. She's going to take being the bad mother to the extreme. She's going to take the... Um, career woman to the extreme. She's going to take everything to the to the extreme. That's what she does. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean maybe that's one of the lessons here is moderation. <laughs> <laughs> Only one martini in the afternoon.
1: No, that's wrong. That's-
0: <laughs> well, that's just because you don't like martinis.
1: But well, no, I just drinks. Are there other lessons? Did you pull out any lessons? I, and we probably talked about this enough already, but I'm going to just say it again. I love that sisterhood in the book is considered, oh my God, Stephanie is so delusional. Whereas in the movie, that is what wins in the end. Mm -hmm. And I thought, this is one of those things I hated about the book, is that Friendship is not real. And that's the message. You don't have real relationships. Be out for yourself and that's it. And the film completely reversed that. And friendship is valuable. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things I loved. I also love how self-aware the film is. Yes, And the book is completely oblivious. So the film was bought before the book was written. Before it was published, at least. Really? Yeah. So the rights to the film were because Gone Girl was such a big hit, and they were trying to make Gone Girl again and again and, and capitalize on this wave. And there are a few books that are like this, like Girl on the Train. It was a yeah. trend for a little while. We're going to make very unlikable characters. And what does it say about humanity and identity and truths that we tell well, ourselves? Well,
0: also and, um, Girl Noir, which I think that this isn't just Girl Noir. This is Cute
1: Noir. Yes. I saw that on an on a internet blog at one point. That's, cute Noir. I love yeah. it. <laughs> So I like that the film is very self-aware of the genre and decides just to have fun with it and play with it at the end, mm-hmm. and that's where the movie really took off for me, and I fell in love with it was the ending. Yeah.
0: Okay. So uh, there are a couple lessons here that come in, and I'm not sure if we're supposed to get them or we're supposed to fight against them. I'm not even really sure if they're there, but just a couple things where things like don't trust your partner is bad because if it's in the in the book. If Emily had trusted Sean to know the whole story, then a lot of this craziness would not have happened. You know, he could have just done what his job was supposed to be and they would have won. But because she was kind of taken down by her own hubris, she's the only one who can think three steps ahead. Therefore, she doesn't have to pull anybody else into her plan. So there could be a lesson there
1: about trusting your partner if... If you have an evil
0: plan, maybe don't try to do it in the end.
1: And so that's what gets me. That's why I just look at the book and go, ugh, nobody changes. Nobody learns anything. What's the point of reading this? It's just people are bad. Right.
0: Also, um, (laughs) Sean is the non-character. It's just kind of like, are, are we
1: being told that men are stupid? Or is it just Sean? He's basically a poster cutout. And that's his job. He's just there. He's there to be pretty. And that's it. He's there to be pretty and oh, have good sex with He's woman. the woman! <laughs> That's an interesting insight.
0: <laughs> he's the one that they're fighting over. And he's just there to be pretty.
1: And, oh, and to donate his sperm.
0: Well, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> Was, so um, okay, I also wrote are women in pants not to be trusted <laughs> as one of my as we posted sit here in our jeans. But yes, <laughs> I mean that I've talked about the pants before. We probably don't need to do that stuff. Um, one yes. of the main lessons that I feel like we're getting told is that moms get stuff done. Uh, you know, Stephanie says that multiple times. Uh, you know, sure, I'm going to say for all of those listeners who are not moms, um, I know that you also get stuff done. So this is not a, a hashtag only moms, but. Yeah, sure. You know, moms are pretty cool. Be careful who you tell your secrets to. There's a lesson right there. Maybe don't say things like, oh, well, yes, but I I do. Oh, no, I can't tell you. Oh, no. No, no, don't ask. Okay, here, I'll tell you. I mean, come on.
1: (laughs) Okay, we were talking about another book recently where somebody has this really deep secret. He's holding and feeling incredible guilt about it through the entire book. At the end, he confesses. And he's he's sure that everyone's going to judge him and hate him, and it turns out nobody cares. They're like, uh, okay, can we go get coffee? And it's this huge relief. And so I disagree with the whole secret thing. It's it's when you let it feed and and damage yourself inside that it becomes a problem.
0: I think if my 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 lesson of be careful who you tell your secrets to, I think is it is it's it's. Choose wisely who you mm. tell your secrets to. Maybe that's the better thing because again, it's about the festering. And if he had told in that case, if he told the secret earlier, you know, there might have been negative repercussions. But he waits for years and years, and he's telling it to a very supportive group. It's a different thing, um, which which was not what we're talking about here. But I, I think Stephanie has secrets and she tells them, and then that comes back to haunt her. Emily has secrets; she doesn't tell them, and that comes back to haunt her. So I don't know if you're going to have a secret. We all have secrets.
1: Just be careful, or, or choose wisely when you let them out. But also, or just don't let those bad parts of your life hold you down. Because we all make mistakes, and a little self forgiveness here wouldn't have allowed them to be blackmailed in the first time. Well,
0: true in the case of Stephanie, but Emily never. She she it wasn't about her needing forgiveness. She wasn't actually sorry. So I think that's a different thing. It's like guilt. Maybe the maybe the message here is more about guilt. The the secrets that are. I've done something wrong versus and I feel bad about it and that's why I'm keeping it as a secret versus I've done something wrong and I don't want anybody to know because that'll fuck up my plans for world domination.
1: Yeah, but that goes back to manipulation. Like why would you tell a secret? Emily doesn't have any guilt, so it's not festering. You can't really blackmail her.
0: Right. And then her secret that she tells in the movie, the TA is not even a thing. It's just she just
1: it's Yeah, it's a it's almost a point of pride.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she's just saying it to mess
1: with Stephanie. So it does go back to trade secrets. Stephanie is the one who feels guilt, and that's why she's easy to blackmail.
0: Right, exactly. So here's the lesson, kids don't feel guilt, and then no one can blackmail you. There you go. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, Loose ends sink ships, right? You know, in the book, we've got. They kill the insurance man, and then she plants evidence that's going to point to Sean, but she accidentally loses her ring, and so now it's going to point to her.
1: Okay. Yeah, and-, and this is where I would go back to Gone Girl light. Yeah. In Gone Girl, you had people who really thought out their plots, and in this, it was so slapdash. Like, nobody's going to miss the insurance agent. This is not going to come back at you at some point. You know, you're making really dumb decisions without thinking them through. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But supposedly,
0: Emily is really smart. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't believe her epic brain in the book the way I did in the movie. But And, and maybe the lesson of no one is perfect, no life is perfect, that, that idea that the grass is greener on the other side is is a fallacy, and you can't really know what's, what's going on in other people's houses, even if their house is mostly glass and you can look in and, and look at it. Did you have any other lessons or... Uh, I
1: as I said, I really love that. Stephanie learns to grow. You can take somebody who is not a person to emulate, take the best out of them, and not let that poison who you are. Yeah. Okay. So awesome film, terrible book,
0: <laughs> and I would say a beach read book that is easy to forget because it it was all very surface. But the movie was amazing.
1: There are better books out there. Don't waste your time. Definitely go see the movie. Yes. Okay. Thank you for tuning in.
0: Pages and Popcorn Podcast was brought to you today by Feminism and Coffee. We are on iTunes and would love it if you'd head over there right now and give us a good review. Watch our social media to find out what our next book and movie discussion will be about. And until next time, au revoir.
1: Farewell. (laughs) I'll video say, no wait, hold on.